Hi, hi, it's Joy Foster, founder of Tech Pixies and the host of the Sparkle and Thrive podcast. And I'm really excited about the guest we have today. Uh, it's very rare. In fact, I think uh, in the history of the Tech Pixies Sparkle and Thrive podcast, there may have been two episodes where we've had a male guest. So you might just be the third or fourth, maybe the fifth. But we, it's on the whole, majority of the interviews that we do are with women and mostly through our own community. But I thought it was important to bring on uh, someone who I have worked with for a very long time. In fact, he was one of the very first people that I met when I moved to Oxford and I didn't know anybody in Oxford. And he really helped me to get confidence as a business person. One of the things that I talk about in we have a training that we do at Tech Pixies um, called the Social Media Superhero Hero Bootcamp. And I also talk about it at the Social Media Crash Course. I talk a lot about the time when I wanted to sign up for a business course. And I told my husband that I wanted to do the business course. And he said, why would you pay for a business course? You can learn it all on YouTube for free. And I often uh, tell that story because a lot of the women who are on, uh, who are thinking about joining a program in Tech Pixies, they have to go through their spouses, not all, not all of them, but many of them have to get what they think is permission to do something. And I talk about the fact that I got to a place where I made the decision that I was going to do this business course. I was going to pay for it out of my business account. And I wasn't really asking for permission. I was asking for support. And um, at the time I had really little kids and it was going to be, you know, making sure that there was time and space in, in my husband's calendar to be able to be available for the kids so I could be at this business course. Uh, so I thought it would be fun to bring the business course person to life and actually bring him into the real world. So, Paul, you and I met uh, years and years ago when I first moved to Oxford. So I've been in Oxford for nine years now, and I'm pretty sure I met you within months of arriving here. And uh, and and I did invest in getting coaching and support from you through your business lab. So, uh, and that was transformational for me. And I also talk about the some of the stories on in my training about how one conversation with one person that was in the room helped me triple my my um, revenue. And that was a room you put together and you brought people together. So welcome to the Sparkle and Thrive podcast. Thank you for being one of our rare male guests. Uh, but more importantly, thanks for being there all along the way of my business journey, uh, because you've you've seen me from the very, very early days of entrepreneurship to now. Uh, and I, I, I'm not even sure I want to ask this question, but what's your take on that? Well, I'm, I'm delighted that you've invited me on. And I mean, I've always wanted to be an honorary woman. So thank you very much. I feel like an honorary woman, which is a bit of a bonus. Um, no, but seriously, I think, um, you know, I mean, if you look back over the time that we've known each other, I mean, look how much has changed. I mean, you know, you've gone from somebody who was, at the beginning and not quite sure where she was going and or how to make progress to somebody who's well down that journey and is doing really really well and there's won awards and so i mean it's been a great journey hasn't it i mean it's been a great journey and it's been great to share it with you and um you know well done and uh, you know like i say thanks for inviting me on what can i say it's, it's great well one of the fun things about paul is that he literally has been there you you get occasional random emails from me you know, saying, I need help with this and I need help with that. And what I love about you is you've always been there. You've always been supportive um, and, and you've always challenged me and pushed me. And I think we need people in our life that see our potential. Uh, and I know when, when we, the very first time we met and we were talking about the business idea, which was not at all what it is now, but I remember you sort of looked at me like, 
that's not really viable. (laughs) You were very open and honest about the fact that my business idea probably wasn't going to work. It took me a while to figure that out, but you know, that's what you have mentoring and support for to help someone ask you the right Mm -hmm. questions to help you get to the right conclusion, to help you get to where you want to be. So that's what you're just absolutely brilliant at. Another thing besides asking really great questions, you're a brilliant sales guru. In fact, uh, you, that's what you, you have built up your brand around. So tell us a little bit about, uh, about you, what you do these days. Um, you've had hundreds of conversations with people around sales and you have a real insight to sales. And I've noticed our community needs some help with sales. And so mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to bring on the podcast to really talk about the three strands to effective sales. But let's just um, update our audience on sort of the background that you have and 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 then we'll get into your learnings around sales one of the interesting points you've just made is is that conversation we had about whether that business idea was viable or not and one of the things that was very impressive about you joy is that you recognized i mean it, 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 i had to help point it out but you recognized it wasn't going to work in that form and what you've done is adapted and adjusted and in one sense, that's what that's the thing I like about business is that it's always about change. It's always about figuring out a solution to the next problem. And the thing I like about the kind of culture of working with entrepreneurs is that they are very open to that. They, they're very quick to recognize when problems, when things aren't working, when they've got problems, and they're very quick to do something about it, which you, you can't necessarily say that in a lot of other sectors. People you know, often spend their time hiding problems or ignoring problems. And not that I want to mention politicians or anything. Um, but you know, it's, that's the thing I like about, I like working with you and I like about working with the entrepreneurs is they're very open to that. They're open to understanding whether something's working or not, and they're open to doing something about it. And sales is I mean, that's a big part of sales. Um, it's working out whether you're, the process that you've got for selling your product, service, experience, whatever, is working as well as it could be. And, you know, and markets change and customers' expectations change. So your approach to sales has to change. So while it might be working great today, it may not be working so well tomorrow. Um, well, and, and, and you change. I mean, that's, yeah, I think that's yeah. been the biggest shock for me is, in some ways, my customers haven't changed, but I personally have changed in the last 10 years. And then it's sort of going, well, how do I keep running a company? How do I shift the company to adjust to the changes that I'm having personally? You know, I think it's not just the markets, the customers. It's like, what happens if I, as the business owner, change in that? You know, and that's one of the reasons that we're working together is I've realized that I've changed and now I'm ready for something that I wasn't ready for 10 years ago. And that's why we're working on stuff together. Yeah. And what you're talking about is learning, isn't it? Is, is is you've learned stuff and as a result of what you've learned you've adapted changed adjusted you know evolved whatever language you want to use it's about learning isn't it really and again that's a that's a great thing it's not a bad thing it's a great thing it's just it's just difficult to handle sometimes isn't it difficult to keep track of so yeah and then and then and then also in fact it's interesting because we were just doing a coaching call where someone was feeling a shift in their business but and what i recognized in that conversation was actually if you believe in your product and then the market changes or the environment changes then it might just be about repackaging it it might just be about going deeper on your usps it might be about um you know but but it's easy to lose confidence in your product when the market shifts or you know but if you've got a good product and that's what you and i were talking about this morning like if you've got a good product and you believe in the product 
that's that's a great starting point for a lot that a lot of people don't have. And I, I remember one time I came to it. So you've been running these things in Oxford for a long time called the big gig. Uh, and I came to one of them and, and it was they were doing something. And I remember I stood up and I said, you can't market a shit product. <laughs> Yeah. And, you're right. and, I, and I believe that. So yeah. I think if even if the marketing changes, even if the environment changes, if you have a bad product, all the marketing in the world is not going to save it. Right. Or it's shifting the marketing. So one thing you know you want to have to start out with is a good product, a product, that you know, gets results or a service that, you know, gets results. Um, but then once you know you've got that and you, 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 you know, and you and, and you hopefully don't lose confidence in that, that was that was one thing I found was. I kept thinking, I've got this great product. So I, I just haven't figured out how to get the product out to the market in the right way. But I know the product works. And I think that's the first battle, isn't it? Yeah. And you're, you're really right about something. There is people um, lose confidence. And actually, usually it's not the product that's the problem. I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes people have got a lousy product. And, you know, but a lot of the time, I mean, one of the things I see a lot is people that have got a great product or a great service or a great consultancy offer or a great, you know, and what they don't and what they haven't done is worked out how to sell it properly. But they end up thinking, oh, the product's terrible. And it's not, you know, it's, they need to work on the, the sales piece or the marketing piece or a bit of both, um, you know, the business development role, as it were. And it's not, it's, you know, I would say nine out of 10 times, it's not the product. It's, it's to do with the way the product is marketed or sold or, you know, those things aren't being done tremendously well, which, which creates a problem with revenues and people not being able to generate, you know, I mean, sometimes it is the product, but a lot of time it's not, a lot of time it's not. And you're absolutely right. It's that confidence thing. It's about knowing it's about, and one of the things I always say to people is, you know, are you, you know, to, to what degree are you confident that you've got the right approach to selling the thing that you're talking you know, the product or service and if you're not 100% confident it's probably because you're not doing something properly you know or something you, you've missed something or well and the sad thing is people give up yeah before they but before they solve that problem they've got this great product they've got this great solution they're trying to figure out how to get it out there and then the barriers there are so high uh, that they just then they give up and 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 very sadly something that really could have transformed an organization or transformed an individual or transformed and made someone's life better never gets out there because they give up um, and lose their confidence so that's obviously a whole nother conversation but let's say we've got a product let's say we know the product works what are the three strands to effective effectively selling that product or that service so I always say to people the first thing to to think about is is not the product it's it's how do people buy whatever it is that you're trying to sell so in what what is it about the product that interests them and and how do they how would they go about buying it so let, let me explain what i mean by that so if you've got a product that people will buy on the back of an advert so let's say you were to advertise it in a newspaper or on facebook or on linkedin or whatever whatever the exact medium is if they then see that advert and send you an email and say, can I buy it or can I participate in the course or whatever? That means that they buy on the basis of a fairly simple exposure to it. So they see an advert and they think, I want that. And those that works for fairly simple products. I mean, it can work for products that are very complicated, like mobile phones, but that look simple. And we know we all know what a mobile phone does now. Um, so that's the first thing. Does, does do people buy it on the back of advertising? If they buy it on the back of advertising, then what you need is really good marketing. 
because what you want to do is get that advert in as many magazines or on as many Facebook pages or, or whatever, because then you'll increase your sales because people think, oh, I see that and that works for me, so I'll buy it. So the first thing is, how, what is it that drives the buying? Is it an advert? Often, if it's not a fairly simple product, often what people then want to do is they want to have a conversation with you before they buy. So you're always going to need a bit of advertising. But if they then want to talk to you about it, if they want to say, well, I'm quite interested in going to that conference, but I'm not quite sure what's involved. They want to call you and have a chat. Or they, I'd like to participate in that course, but I'm not quite sure whether it's right for me. So, so the second thing I ask is, is there, a, is there a conversation that needs to be had before the client buys? If you only need to market it, that's great. Spend your money on advertising. If, on the other hand, you need to have a conversation about it with the client, or the client needs to have a conversation with you, then you need to think about how you're going to structure that process. Because what I mean, that's called the conversion process, how you convert a potential customer, a prospect, into a client or a customer. So how do you do that? And what you often find is that people get that wrong. They don't, they don't really understand how you do that. And it's quite hard sometimes. I mean, we're in very competitive markets. I mean, people like you and I, Joy, I mean, our businesses are run online. Well, that means that you can get, I mean, in my case, you don't need a sales coach that lives around the corner. You can get a sales coach from Timbuktu if you want. So we're all now, if you're selling online, you're effectively competing in the global market. So that creates a real issue. Um, because what that means is that once upon a time, if you know, I would be competing with other sales coaches that, let's say, live in Oxfordshire and can, you know, fairly local. Now I'm competing in the global market. So the challenge there is how do you stand out? So there's a lovely little story I always tell people, which is called the um, uh, the story of the purple cow. You might have heard this, but imagine you're Imagine you're driving down, this is usual, imagine you're driving down a country road, right? There's green fields on either side of the road. Okay, so you're driving along. You come around, you go around the bend, and there's some cows in the field. What colour are the cows? Uh, black and white or brown? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, black and white or brown and white. Anyway, you drive a bit further and you go around another corner and there's some more cows. But in the middle of that herd of cows, there's a purple cow. What do you do? You stop. You stop. And you go, oh, wow, it's a purple cow. And you get your phone out, you take a photo and you send it to your other half or whatever. And the point I'm making is we now, the big challenge is how do you stand out? So from a marketing and sales perspective, you can't have, they won't have the conversation with you unless you stand out um, among all the cows. So one question is how do you turn yourself into a purple cow? Because if you're not a purple cow, why would they go and have the conversation with you about why your thing is so much better than the other things that are around. You know, why is your service or product better? So those are the first challenges. How do people buy? You know, do they need advertising? Do they? Do you have to have a conversation with them? And how do you stand out from the crowd? How do you make yourself a little bit different? Does that make sense? Yeah, makes perfect sense. I love it. So, so walk us through the other strands. Okay, so the the question then once once you once you once you stand out from the crowd and you're starting to have a conversation with the customer or the potential customer then the question becomes is why would they switch i call it the switching point and what that what i mean is that at some point in the customer's journey they have to make a decision to switch from the status quo to buying your thing or your service or product or experience or whatever so what is it that drives that switch um you know, because we've all got an alternative. So one alternative is nothing, you know, the status quo. I might not have any product. Another alternative might be a competitor's product to yours. 
or they you know why would they switch from those to buy to buy your thing so what is the thing that triggers that switch why do people say actually i'm not going to go to that event i'm going to go to that event or i'm not going to sign up for this course i'm going to sign up for that course or i'm not going to buy this product i'm going to buy that product so that's the other thing is understanding what is it that makes the customer switch so there's a there's a sort of a process where you engage with them which is the being a purple cow advertising yourself having a sales conversation and then there's a, a process by which you've got to persuade them to switch and understanding why people switch is the most important part of working out how to influence them so the third strand is how do you influence them but what people often do is they don't think about why would somebody switch before they just turn up and say i've got a great product buy it and then they wonder why it doesn't work actually the most important thing you've got to understand is why are these guys likely to switch and come my way what is it that will make them make that jump. And it could be all sorts of things. It could be price, it could be the quality of the product, it could be the way it solves a problem, it could be the fact that it gives them status. Um, you know, the, what, what is the thing that will make them switch? And the tricky bit, the really tricky bit, is that unless they've bought your product before, they don't know what your product does. So it's all about belief, it's about imagination, it's about um, what they think the product will do with them. Now, if you take me as a, for instance, I love the idea of owning a Porsche, right? I mean, I haven't got a Porsche, but I'd like to have a Porsche, but I've never driven a Porsche. So I don't actually know what it would be like to own a Porsche. And I, I'm sure it was going to cost me a lot of money. But I love the idea of having the top down and having sunglasses on and driving around in my Porsche in the, on a sunny day. You know, I love the idea of that, but I don't actually know what that's like until I buy the product. And so, so the, 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 the process of getting people to switch is about changing what they believe in. Because up until they came across you, they believed that the other thing was what they wanted. So your challenge is to change their beliefs. And that's not easy. It's not an easy process to get people to change their beliefs, as, as lots of people will tell you. You know, they, once they believe something, they believe it, which is why they're loyal to some brands. And it's very difficult to get them to, to switch. But that's the... The key really is understanding what that is, because when you know why they switch, then you can work out how to pull, you know, how to press those buttons, how to pull that trigger, if you like. How, what do you need to do to make them believe that your thing is going to be better off, better for them? And 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 really this, if you don't overcome this barrier, this challenge, you're going to have a hard time getting to that third strand. Is that yeah. So what are your top tips for helping people get to the bottom of understanding that? So, I mean, there's a great TED talk. It's called Curiosity is Your Superpower. And it's done by somebody who's a far better speaker than I am. So, I mean, watch the TED talk. It, I'm pretty sure it's called Curiosity is Your Superpower. And it's about being curious. It's about wanting to understand the customer's world. What, how does the world look like from their perspective? What are the things that keep them awake at night? What are the things that they're struggling with? What are the things that matter to them? So if you take me as a friend, for example, and you think about the Porsche example, right? I actually really don't want to lose my driving license. So although a Porsche will go really fast, I'm not going to buy it because it's going to go fast. I mean, I, I like the idea that it goes fast, but I'm not going to do that because I'll lose my license. But I love the idea of the fact that it's a fantastic brand and, you know, it's it's really nice to drive. So I'm told, you know, it's got so it, it's understanding what are the what are the things that are important to the customer? So for me, I'm not going to buy it just because it goes 140 mile an hour. 
That's not why I'm going to buy. So coming to me and saying, buy this Porsche because it goes 140 miles an hour is not going to persuade me to spend 50,000. I'm not going to do that. On the other hand, creating a situation where I think to myself, God, it would be really cool to be able to drive around in that. And wouldn't it be nice? And it'd be great to take my other half out for, we'd go out to a nice, you know, go to a bar or cafe or whatever. You know, we'd have a really nice experience. That is quite persuasive. So it depends. So the way you sell depends on what are the things that matter to the customer. And those things tend to be solutions to problems. So, I mean, not exclusively, but for the most part, what people buy things for is because it solves a problem. You know, I mean, the example we were talking about is, you know, uh, your proposition around helping staff engagement. Well, that solves a problem around disengagement. And, you know, business people don't want their staff to disengage. They don't want people to be not interested in work. They don't want to be people to be going off sick all the time. So, so a staff engagement project is about solving or preventing disengagement because that is a huge problem for businesses. So that's the thing is understanding the problem. So it might come back to the Porsche example. From my point of view, what I want to have is an enjoyable experience driving a car. I don't want it just to be about the functionality. I don't just want to get to A to B. I want to enjoy driving it. I don't want to go fast, particularly, so I'm not really bothered about the speed thing. So selling it to me on the basis of speed is not going to win me over. Persuading me that, you know, if I buy this Porsche and I have a great holiday traveling around France in my Porsche with my other half and we have a fantastic holiday, that's far more persuasive. That image in my mind is far more persuasive. And that's going to come from having conversations, listening to people, and not necessarily in that sense, um, selling them on that conversation. It's really just being a great listener and understanding for them what the problem is and and really what the solution would feel like trying to get to that point where you, so if I have a conversation with you and, and I'm, and I'm, I'm the Porsche salesperson, I'm trying to understand what are your motivators. And I'm asking key questions to try and get to the bottom of those motivators rather than just first conversation we have talking to you about how fast it goes without, you know, and then obviously, and even if I was to go into that conversation and start talking about how fast it goes, and you're sitting here going, hang on, I like my license, I want to keep my license, then I've got to be on my toes to say, right, what might be another motivating factor for this person? So I think it comes down to listening, being an active listener, and really trying to get to the bottom of you know, what the problem they have and before trying to present them with a solution. If if I understood that correctly, let's go into the third strand in more detail. So the the trick with influencing people is about emotion. So people respond to stuff that matters to them. It's, It's stuff that influences the way they feel. It's not really about logic. What happens is we buy something and then we use logic to justify it. So if I ever get to the point where I can waste 50,000 buying a Porsche, I mean, I will then have lots of logical reasons for buying it, but that's not really why I'm buying it. You know, we, we buy stuff because we feel it will make our lives better in some way, and then we justify it using logic. So the, the thing to focus on is the thing that drives the emotional experience. So to come back to the Porsche example, logic you know, it's a sports car. Sports cars are designed to go fast. So the logic would have it that you sell to people that want to go fast. But that's not the emotion that's important to me. The thrill seeking is not my thing. It's the other experience of having a great time. That's the emotion that matters to me, which is the thing that's going to drive my buying behavior. So understanding what emotions, as you put it, or motivations is the other way, language, whatever language you use. What are those things that matter to people? Because those are the things that 
drive buying behavior. And the most, or, you know, the most powerful emotion that we have is loss aversion. People hate losing stuff. To come back to the Porsche thing, right? The 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 speed thing. When people say you could buy this car and drive really fast, I interpret that as risk. I think, yeah, I could go fast, but I'm likely to lose my license. Well, I don't want to lose my license, so that's not going to motivate me. The thing that I'm going to be really motivated by is having a great experience. So it's the it's working. The, the trick to selling is working out. That who if the person that's in front of you, the person you're trying to sell to, what is the thing that motivates them? Is it what you might think it is, which is, oh, he wants to buy a sports car, therefore he must want to go fast? Well, that might be the case for some people, but the vast majority of us have more complex emotional needs and, and things that drive us. So it's usually more sophisticated than that, which is why the curiosity thing is important. You've got to want to understand their world, because if you don't want to understand it, you won't make the effort to ask the right questions. I mean, you're absolutely right about asking questions and you won't ask them in the right way. So you won't get to the bottom of the issue. So if you're curious about their world, it doesn't usually take long before they tell you what's the thing that you want. So if I was going into a Porsche garage, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the Porsche salesman says to me, what is it? That appeals to you about a Porsche. And then I'd say, oh, I love the idea of you know bobbing around the south of France in me Porsche with your top down. And and then they'd say, Oh, yeah, it's a fantastic car, it's comfortable. It's you know, they focus on the things that would make that experience come true. They're not gonna go, oh yeah, what you want to do is go fast, because that's not gonna work. So a skilled salesperson will work out what is the thing that matters to you. That's a really interesting question. So, what is it that appeals to you about the Porsche? That the way that you crafted that question is you know and we were discussing this earlier that the difference between like an open question and a closed question and how you ask the questions so that you get the answers that you want rather than um asking a question where there's really nowhere for them to go um like if the question he asked is uh you know is the thing that you like about a Porsche speed and you're like the answer is like no or yes there's there's not much you can go with that and you're missing out potentially on what the real answer is so the way that that question is crafted matters in the, in terms of the the better the question, the better the answer. So, you know, um, what is it that appeals to you about the Porsche? That's a very open-ended question, and someone can answer that in any way that suits them, which is what you're ultimately trying to get to. Yeah, I love um, the I love those you know uh, home in the sun type programs. I don't know whether you've noticed, but the the presenters always when they're showing some somebody around some nice apartment in Greece or something, and and they say, "Can you imagine yourself sat here having breakfast, looking out over the view over the bay or something?" And what they're trying to do is to get people to imagine what it would be like to own that product. Yeah, future building. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's just so we you talked about these like the three strands of essential sales that sort of make this rope, which really is connecting you to that customer and pulling them in and you know getting the sale. Let's just review all three of the strands to make sure everyone's clear on what they are. Um, and uh, you know, I think that'll be really helpful for people. Okay, so the first thing is understanding how customers buy. Yeah, so do they buy on the back of advertising or do they need to have a conversation with you? Yeah, because if they have a conversation, if, if they need a conversation with you, you, you've got to understand that process of how you convert them, right? If it's just advertising, just get creative adverts and stick them out there and you'll people will just email, email you and buy the product or whatever. But if it's about, if they need to have a conversation with you, you need to understand that sales conversation. That's the first thing. The second thing is, if, 
you always have to get them to switch because they've always got the status quo. It might be nothing or it might be a competitor's product. So you've always got to figure out how to make them switch. If you don't work out how they, how, what would make them switch, you won't sell to them. So what the, what's the carrot? What's the thing that's going to get them? Yeah, what's the thing that matters to them? Why would yeah. they switch? What is it? Yeah. And then the third, the third part is the way you influence that switch is by appealing to their emotions. What are the things that inspire them, motivate them, interest them, matter to them? And they're often not the thing that we think it is. I mean, people think that you buy a Porsche just to go fast. And of course, it's a sports car. So it's not an entirely unreasonable position to take. People buy sports cars because they want to go fast. But that's not really subtle enough. Lots of people buy stuff for other reasons. And understanding yeah. that is the key, really, because everyone knows a sports car goes fast. It's the other stuff that is more likely to get them to put their hand in the pocket. And it's about them believing that because of course if they haven't actually bought it they don't actually know what it's like which is why one of the best sales strategies is try before you buy which is test drive the car take the porsche for a drive around then you'll come back and say i want one because you love it so it's try before you buy is a great sales strategy um it's, it's a really simple one you can use it in lots of situations just get people to try it you know and they'll tell you what they think about it and they'll tell you why they think it's a good thing and then keep that knowledge why did he like that? What was it that got him going? Store that up because that's the stuff that you need to use to influence people going forward. Well, and I think one of the things I think to recognize is that in sales, and I think I'm learning this more and more and more as I you know, do more sales and have done different types of sales. I mean, you've got you know, sales calls, you've got webinars, you've got you know, challenges, you've got um, even off the back of the podcast, when you invite someone to um, come into your world, you know, there's there's all sorts of different ways that you can sell. And, and there's all sorts of different techniques and tactics and everything. But I do think underlying all of that is a real deep understanding of what the person on the other side needs. And I think that's been one of the reasons why, you know, it was important for me to call someone in to help me navigate making a switch, um, you know, we, we, we're going to, we're going to continue to maintain the products that we have and the services we have, but it was important to me to then, as I developed as a business owner and as a person to say, right, what's a challenge that I would like to embark on personally, and then get the support that I need to do that. Because I knew there was a lot that I didn't know. I, you know, I, I knew there's a lot I didn't know. I didn't know. Right. So the, the unknown unknowns. Um, and so, you know, for me, it was important that as I, you know, that I, that as I leaned into something I didn't know how to do, that I got people around me that did know how to do that and could help me navigate that in a way. Um, and that's what sales coach does. And I think that's one of the things that coaches do, you know, as a life coach, I help someone create a vision for their life as a social media coach. I help someone create a social media plan for their business or to go get a job or, you know, um, to help a charity that they love as a business coach, you know, helping people actually put the foundational, the foundations in for business. One of which is sales, right? You got marketing, which obviously for us is, is very, very often connected to social media, but then the sales part, it's a whole mystery for a lot of people. And I think we want to demystify the mystery and and it comes down to listening, understanding. But I also think there's another element to this. And of course, I've got the Be Brave sign behind me. Uh, and I was just talking about this this morning on one of our coaching calls. One of the scariest things 
um, that I think for, and it, I don't know if it's just for women. I mean, my only experience is as a woman, but I think, and it could be in sales in general, and you've coached a lot of people in sales. One of the scariest things I think that people face is, is when they know someone wants to work with them, they've got the, you know, they know they've got the solution. They've, they've, they know that the client's a great fit. And then it's actually like that, that fear of the next step of, signing the contract, giving, sending the invoice, like literally it wasn't until very recently where I had the confidence on code on sales calls to, instead of saying, well, have a look at stuff and get back to me. I would just say to them, I think this is a great fit for you. And I think, I think this is going to really make a big difference for you. You know, what do you think? Yeah, I think that, well, okay, let's great. Let's get you signed up. I did not have the confidence the courage, the bravery to do that. And, um, and it was literally, uh, someone that just kept saying to me, follow the script, joy, follow the script that's in the script, follow the script. And I would, I would get to that part of the script and I would freeze and I'd be like, okay, have a look at it and come back to me and tell me if you want to do it. And then you lose the energy that comes from painting the picture from the forward plan, you know, the, from that future, uh, future projection, there's an energy that comes when someone, when you've, when you've been in a, in a conversation, you've, and I've watched someone do this. They're in a conversation. They've made the switch. The person switched and I could see the switch happen right in front of them. And then what was amazing. And that was really watching someone else do that where then they were able to say, right, let's get you into system of support. Let's get you signed up. Here's the link. And I'll just make sure you feel, you know, I'll, I'll stay with you until the end. And I didn't, I didn't look at it as creepy, but it felt like a real, scary shift I had to make. So, and obviously when it depends on what kind of sale you're making, you know, if you're making a 50,000 or a hundred thousand or half a million sale, it's not necessarily, let's give me the credit card and let's just make the payment now. Right. So that's a slightly different deal. But a lot of people we're working with at tech pixies, a lot of the women who come out of our social media programs and they're selling social media packages, or, you know, they might be a Reiki coach or a life coach or a therapist or a psychologist, or they might be a um, you know, strategist or web developer, they're having smaller sales in smaller. I mean, just by the sheer amount of sales that they're making. So they might be selling a, you know, a hundred pound product or a 500 pound product or a, a thousand pound product, a very, you know, maybe, maybe a 2000, 3000 pound product. Those are products you could in some cases make directly on a sale call, but people get scared. And then yeah. they say, yeah. uh, go check it out and come back and tell me what you think. And, and that, kills the momentum that you've got there. Yeah. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. The biggest single problem in sales is that people face a lot of rejection. And that's terribly damaging to people's self-esteem. Um, I mean, if you think about, I mean, the program I run is probably 10 or 20% about the techniques and it's 80 or 90% about the mindset and about the, uh, the you know, people feeling confident um, you know, and because if you if you've got if you know the techniques, but you're not confident to use them, they won't get used. Um, you know, and the problem we offer, the other you have the other side where people are overly confident about their skills and they just blunder into things. And that. You know, but the, the real trick is to learn it. There's some really simple techniques. You learn the techniques and then it's being confident to use them when you're staring at somebody across a Zoom screen or in a, you know, in a meeting situation. It's about the ability to use them in those scenarios. But the, the thing that undermines that is because people don't like to be rejected. You know, nobody wants them to say, I'm not interested. Go away. 
you know, and that's what a lot of salespeople face day in, day out, because there's always a bunch of people that don't want it, whatever it is you're selling. And they have to face that so that you end up with avoidance behavior. So a big chunk of what I do is I help people with the confidence because it's it, you need the skills because you need to make the, the process of closing, converting a sale. You need to make that smooth and efficient and it needs to work pretty much every time. But it's also about being able to deal with the fact that sometimes people will just say no. And it's not about you. It's about the fact they don't want the product. That's so interesting what you just said, because I th- I think people go into it thinking they're going to close every single sale, that conversation. That's what they go into it with. Like, if I'm good at this, everyone's going to buy and it's always going to be 100% yes. And actually, when you're actually in it, I remember when... So my very, the funny thing is, is it's not like I haven't done sales my whole life. My very first job after, so I, you know, I tried out for two Olympic teams, but my first, my, like when I, my, my first job sort of post, um, you know, while I was doing the Olympic stuff, I was working part-time for a guy who was selling life insurance and I didn't actually have to sell the life insurance, but I had to book the calls. So I had to make sure he had a full schedule And he, the very first training he did with me was brilliant because he said to me, I'm going to give you a list of a hundred names. You're going to call all hundred of them. Only 10 people will answer the phone. And when you get those 10 people on the phone, only four of them will say yes. And he said, basically, I just want you to, when someone says, when they don't answer the phone or when someone says, no, now's not a good time. I just want you to say, um, you know, okay, great. Well, when's a good time for me to call you back? Should I check in with you six months or three months or whatever scheduled on? And then just go to the next, next 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 and he said don't carry any of the rejection into the next call because you have no idea what's going to happen in the next call and that concept of next 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 um you know is so important and when i when with social media what we see happening is um people get really upset um not necessarily with social media but they'll get really upset with like a mailing list if people unsubscribe from a mailing list And what I had to educate my business coaching students on was it's normal that people unsubscribe. In fact, what I worked out was something like 15% of 15% of people never even open the emails that you're sending. And then 10% of the people um, will unsubscribe. So for us, 25, 25% of our audience either doesn't see it or is unsubscribing. And I'm totally okay with that. Like if I log in and I see people leaving, I'm like, okay, we're not right for them. We're not right for them. We're not right for them. But I know it can feel really that that rejection. If you don't recognize that it's a natural part of sales, that it's normal, and actually, you know, quite frankly, if you're batting ten percent on a on a at the beginning days with a one on one call, that's a great starting point. You know, you can only go up from there. But also, people don't understand the conversion rates differences, which is what we've been talking about as well. So, like with with online sales, and this is what I tell our students online sales, you're going to be really happy with a one to 3% conversion rate. So people get really upset if they've got like a hundred followers on social media and they'll say, it's just not working for me. And I'll say to them, well, how many sales have you had? And they'll say, well, I've had three. And I'm like, that's amazing because 3% of a hundred, that's three, three people out of a hundred, that's 3%. Now they're not talking about having a hundred conversations. They're talking about having a hundred followers on social media and three purchases that's a really healthy conversion rate. So part of it too is understanding what's a normal healthy conversion rate for the type of sale that you're making. And that goes back to the very first step you're talking about. Is it a sales conversation where you're going to have a much higher percentage, like 50, 60, 70% if you're really good at it. Um, but you know, it's, there's a difference between an online sale and a 
phone conversation sale or a sales call. And people don't understand those differences. I'm really glad that we, we could highlight that a little bit on this in this um, podcast. I mean, up until you get people on the phone or on a Zoom call, it's a numbers game. Once you get them on the phone or on a Zoom call or, or you meet them somewhere, then it's about the skill of how you influence them. You know, that's the that's the, the, the thing. So there's... So one part is all about numbers. So that's about determination. It's about making enough calls. You know, if you've got to call 100 people in a week, you need to make 10 calls a day or whatever the numbers are. You, know, you need to make sure that you do the numbers. But then what people forget, and this is what makes sales so interesting, is when you get them on the phone, then you've got to be really skillful about how you handle them to, to turn them from a somebody who's just answered the phone to somebody who buys the product or service. And yeah. that's what makes sales in it. It's not purely about numbers. It's not purely about skill. It's about a mix of both. Again, which makes which one of the things that makes it quite challenging. Yeah, well, but if you're tracking your numbers, then you start to see where there's a problem, where there's a hole, you know, what, then it starts to go, okay, well, actually we had a hundred people sign up, but only, you know, this percentage showed up and how do we improve the percentage rates? And you can start to make some changes there. But I think that's so true. You know, if you're, if you're, one of the things that was really interesting was the guy that I worked for, he said, I just want you to book four calls a day or four, four meetings a day. He said, if you work for me five days a week and you book four call, four, four meetings per day, I'm going to have 20 meetings a week. He said, I'm going to be booked out for two to three weeks. And, and he knew how to convert from those calls. Like he knew what his conversion rate were on those actual meetings. And it was really funny because I remember when, um, because this was back in the day where we didn't have Zoom. So you had to drive to everywhere. And at one point I, I got really good. So I'd give him like 20 meetings and then he'd be like, hang on, Joy, you've just got me going all over Chicago. So he was going like an hour there, an hour there, an hour, you're right and left. And so he said, okay, now we have to. And once, once we got really good, we had a really good system of, I would book the calls. He would, he would do the meetings. He finally had to say to me, look, we got to have a day where I'm in this area, a day where I'm in this area, a day where I'm in that area. So we had certain days where he was in certain areas so we could then make it even more efficient. So he wasn't driving, you know, seven hours in a car to do three meetings when he could be doing seven meetings in three hours in the same area. So if you're running, if you, if you, if you're capturing your sales data as you go along, which is something we do in our business coaching programs, you know, capturing, we have KPIs, capturing the steps, right? How many people did I have conversations with? Um, you know, how many people did I close the deal on? How many people did I reach out to? Once you're capturing all those steps, then you can start to say, okay, where's there a problem with the numbers? But you, you got nowhere to go if you're not capturing any of that information. That's, and I, I always know there's a problem if I speak to somebody and I ask them the question about the numbers, they don't know the answers. It's, it's that whole thing about what what gets measured gets managed. You know, if, you, if you're not measuring it, how on earth do you know whether it's working properly? So you're absolutely right about that. It's really important to capture those numbers and to use those numbers to help you improve because that's the evidence that you've got. You know, the other thing I think is interesting is is the people that tend to be very good at sales are people that are quite reflective. So they have a sales call and then they'll spend time afterwards thinking, how could I have done that better? You know, what what worked? Maybe what didn't work? What might I do differently? And they're very good at doing that after every conversation, because ultimately there's nobody there to watch you. I mean, the, the numbers don't lie. You either make the sales numbers or you don't. The numbers don't lie. But but in terms of how you improve what the great salespeople that I know are people that are really good at, at, at doing, they become good at doing it. But the reason they get good at doing it is because after they've done a sales call, they're quite self-critical. You know, I, was there something I could have done better? And, and it's, 
often it, it's this thing about failure drives learning. You know, people don't like to to fail, so when they do things, you know, wrong or the, or they don't, it doesn't work out. They're quite self-critical and they're quite self-evaluative, and that's good because eventually, eventually they'll get better. And they'll figure out what works and what doesn't work, and they'll stop doing what doesn't work and do more of what does work. I mean, it's not complicated. The you other have thing, to be willing to fail, and you have to be willing to reflect yeah, on that failure. Yeah. You've got to be willing to be rejected. You've got to be willing to fail. But if you can deal with those two things, you can learn. Yeah. And that means you can get better. And if you keep getting better, you you know, it's not that difficult to become a really high-performing salesperson. It, it doesn't take huge amounts because so many people drop out. So many people give up because it's so hard. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons you're still here. It's because you stuck at it. I don't give up. <laughs> that's a good thing. That's well, good thing. I actually, that's a great point because we were just on, on this coach. It was a great coaching call. We were just talking about um, fear of success versus fear of failure. And I, there's a very early podcast that I did on this exact topic. But I had no idea that there was such a thing as fear of success. I just always thought it was fear of failure. The problem was I was failing all the time and then I didn't understand why I wasn't succeeding. And and the thing is, is I didn't actually have a fear of failure. I had a fear of success and I had a limited self image which stopped me from being successful. And I had to do a lot of work on my self image. Um, and I still do. I mean, I, I think, I don't think we're ever done working on our self image, no. but if, if we don't, um, if we're not seeing the results that we want to see, uh, it's very often because there is some sort of limiting belief that we are ascribing to, and it serves us to a certain extent, right? You know, there's a, there's a reason that we have that limiting belief in place. It's protecting us somehow, some way. Um, and it's getting to identify what is my limiting belief? Um, you know, what, and that's, but what I've loved about working with you is like, really, you sort of said to me, right, <laughs> let's look at all the things that you think are stopping you from doing this thing you want to do. And it will, the list is long. Um, but it's been good to really do that exercise because it's what I'm doing right now for myself personally. And I think everyone who's in business, whether you're in sales, whether you're in marketing, whether you're the jack of all trades and you have to do the sales and the marketing and the delivery of the product, which I do all three, um, it's really a, a, an exercise of, okay, I know how to do this. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm really good at it. I really enjoy it. And it's, and it's serving a lot of people and myself, but I'm also a changed person. And now that I'm on a different level of who I am, I need to break through a new level of where I want to be. And that's really what this exercise for me is about is I'm a lifelong learner. And yeah. I know that about myself now. And I also know that I'm never going to outperform my self-image. So I've got to increase my self-image. I've got to challenge myself to do new things that I've never done before. Someone once said to me, this was years ago, and then we did it, which was so much fun. But they said to me, why on earth do you want to build a business that at that time, you know, I said, they said, what's your dream or what's your goal? And I said, well, I want to, I want to run a business that turns over at least a half a million a year. And this person said to me, like, why? And I was like, why not? <laughs> like, I mean, do I need a reason like to have a half a business that turns over half a million? I mean, I would be able to pay good salaries. I would be able to have some stability financially. Like, why not? And, and, but the, the but, but you're never going to achieve a half million in revenue if you don't have the, the confidence in your self-image to say that I'm a person that does that, right? I'm a person that, that can build that and that can create that. And, and then I remember when we did hit, you know, over a half a million revenue in one year. And it didn't look the way I wanted it to look because there were other underlying issues yeah. 
you know, like actually, you know, I was overspending and there were all sorts of other things because I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. So, but I'm, but I was not afraid to fail. I was not afraid to put myself out there. I was not afraid to try things and see what happened. So there is a thing such as a fear of success. It's not just about fear of failure. And we have to, we have to challenge ourselves as individuals to push through the, the, the limiting beliefs that we've put in front of us in order to, to achieve what we want to achieve. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I always say to people when they set targets, I say to them, set a target that you're going to fail. And the reason I say that is because when you fail, you sit back and think, oh, God, what, what do I need to do differently to hit that target? If you always hit the target, you're not learning. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's great. it feels great to hit a target. I mean, you know, it's always it's lovely. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a nice thing, but it doesn't really teach you anything. Whereas if you set a really big target and you don't quite get there, it, it forces you to ask the question, well, what is it that I need to do differently to, to land an extra £100 worth of le- revenue or whatever the, the target was that you missed? You know, it's that process of asking the question, what is it I need to do differently that is so powerful and so motivating? And to come back to our conversation at the beginning, I mean, one of the reasons I like working with entrepreneurs and business people is they're pretty up for that. You know, people want to build a successful business in whatever area. And they're up for learning because they're up for figuring out the things that are getting in the way. And in lots of other sectors, you don't see that, you know. Um, And I like that about entrepreneurs is they're willing to try stuff. They're willing to stretch themselves. They're willing to to push the boat out a little bit. I mean, I remember um, a conversation we had many years ago where you talked about, I don't just want to help one or two people. I want to help thousands of people. I remember thinking, yeah, your expectations have moved on and, and you won't help thousands of people until you start thinking that you can help thousands of people. And that's that shift that is so powerful. And of course, look what you've done. You know, because you decided, I mean, you didn't know how at the time, but because you decided to figure out how to do that, you've done that. And that's the success, isn't it? Okay, You've now got other problems to deal with because there's always other things that cause you headaches. But but you you know that thing you overcame that. So now if I said to you, your target is to help two more people in the next six months, you're going to think that's a, not really a stretching target, you know. So it's great, isn't it? I mean, that's that's what makes business interesting, I think. Oh, totally, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that we have to do along the way is whatever the target is. And and I agree with you. You got to make it bigger than what feels like is attainable, because if it is a little bit bigger, it's, it is going to stretch you. But then as you're going through it and you're getting as you're working towards it, you're celebrating the wins along the way. Uh, one of the big goals I had was to have a thousand women in our paid program. Now, I didn't know we were going to have 13000 women we were going to help, which is what we've ended up doing. But we're at about 850. And I got to tell you, that last 150 that I've been working on, it's just it's like, oh, it's just going so, you know, the perception is it's going so slowly. But what what's really interesting is how things have developed in the process. But we're talking about like, that's like a, a my goal of having a thousand paid women in our program, that would, I set that as like a one year goal about eight years ago. And yeah. You know, here we are. We'll do it before ten years, which is you know great. Um, but it, but but I there was like this part of me that's like, okay, once I got to a thousand, then I could get to ten thousand. And actually, ironically, I've already helped thirteen thousand. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't the way that I thought I was going to. And and I think that's exactly what you're saying. There is is you know, and what I'm saying is, I'm glad that the end all be all result for me was not a thousand paying women because I I would have missed everything we've done the last eight years. Yeah. And I think looking at the accomplishments 
of what we have done the last eight years with the 13,000 women we've helped for free and the 850 women who've paid for, for our help. And really, I look at it as not, they're not paying us. They're investing in themselves because they're the ones that get the benefit from actually doing the program, you know, more than anybody else, because their life is the one that changes, you know, through that process. But those wins along the way are so important and so invaluable because the target's the target to give you something to aim for. But if you every day beat yourself up because you haven't hit the target, you're missing all the learning in the process. Yeah, and that, absolutely. That's and absolutely. trust me, you, Paul's known me for a long time. I, he would not have heard those words come out of my mouth eight years ago. That's that's also true. Yeah. I mean, the thing the thing for me, you know, we were talking about strategy the other day. The thing is, people think strategy is about achieving a goal. Of course, it is. You want to achieve a goal. Of course, you do. But the, the point I always make to people is, just because things don't always go to plan, doesn't mean the outcome will be bad. You know, sometimes things don't go according to plan, and the outcomes are good. And often, the good outcomes are the things that you learn from it. But there are often other other good. I mean, I always tell this story of how Sue and I were. On holiday one year and we couldn't find the campsite we were off on a camping holiday we couldn't find the campsite that we were looking for and we happened to see this sign to this little campsite we went down and we found this idyllic little campsite it's our, it's our favorite campsite now if we were to go on holiday there again it'd be the place we would go it's an idyllic campsite but it wasn't the one we were looking for and it's fabulous because it was a totally unexpected outcome but it was a better outcome we subsequently discovered that the, the campsite we were looking for was actually pretty horrible and we found this lovely one by accident. And, uh, you know, those are those are things to be celebrated, as you point out. They're things that you learn and you think, oh, God, that's really good. So just because things don't go plan doesn't mean the outcomes will be bad. And, you know, you can learn all sorts of stuff from things going wrong. And there's huge value in that. And if you close your mind to those things, you're not you're not you know, you're not, you're not benefiting, benefiting from a lot of stuff that's going on and in sales. I mean, the thing about sales is customers do weird things. So it's really important to, to ask the question, you know, what is it I could learn from what's just happened, whether it's been a success or not? Because there's always something that you can learn that will move you forward. And, you know, and that's the thing about dealing with people, isn't it, is that people aren't necessarily predictable. They don't necessarily do what you expect. They come at things with interesting perspectives and different ways of seeing things. And there's huge value in that, huge value in that. Well, no, I love it. This great conversation and something our community really needs is to start thinking about sales. Our community knows how to build up a social media following. Our community is now moving into how do I convert that social media following into a mailing list? They're starting to say, well, how do I make an offer and how do I close the sale? And that's why we're, you know, I'm, I'm shifting the conversation a little bit on the podcast because I know there's people who've completed our social media training and they're, they're like, okay, now I need to know how to do the sales part. I know the marketing part, mm -hmm. but I need the sales part. So this is a great introductory. If people want to um, learn more about what you do, connect with you, where can they find you? So I have a, I have a website, mysalesguru.co.uk. I mean, um, you can drop me an email if you want to have a chat. There's on the if you go to the website, there's a series of interviews. You have to sort of follow a couple of links, but there's a series of interviews. So one of the things I did when I set the business up was I interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs about how they approach sales. There's about I think 30 or 40 of those interviews are videoed, and they're on the website. And what they are is me interviewing a boatload of entrepreneurs about how they approach sales. And so you can watch those. They're free. You can, you know, and I think the contact details of the various people are on there. You can contact them. And there's a wealth of information there about how entrepreneurs approach the sales process, because there's some common themes among them. Um, 
Because a lot of entrepreneurs are not people that have been on a sales course. They're not natural salespeople. They've just figured out what is it that I need to do to sell my thing to my particular audience or market. So there's a lot to be learned. And it's on. if you go to the website, the videos are there. You can watch the videos. There's lots to, to, to take away from that. Yeah. I think I'm even in one of those videos. You are, actually. You are. I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah, we, we had a, a conversation about uh, how you approach selling this, didn't we? That's right. Yeah. Great to so you. So you. So they should look up your interview on my... Um, we'll put it in the show notes. Anyone who wants to go and learn how yeah. we do sales at Tech Pixies, that's a great start. And and and, and again, it's an it's an ever evolving process, which is why Paul's, you know, back in helping in the background to make sure that we evolve. Um, because markets change, people change, you change, yeah. uh, and you know, if you're a lifelong learner, that's great because you can learn something from all of those changes. And uh, you know, just as a reminder. It's, sales is not a perfect game. You're not going to get a hundred, a hundred percent of everything all the time. And actually, thank goodness you don't, because you wouldn't improve or change, um, you know, without those challenges. So thanks for your time, Paul. Really appreciate it, mm -hmm. and I know our audience will appreciate it too. Good to speak to you.